0: Welcome back to uh, the Spirit of Time podcast. I'm here with a special guest flying solo this evening. Matt is away on travel, and so I have filled him in with somebody arguably more interesting, uh, objectively more handsome, I, I would say. Uh, but without further ado, we're welcoming back our good friend Zakir from Hame Watch Company. Zakir, how are you, man?
1: Hey, doing well. How are you?
0: Doing really well. Doing very well. Um <sighs> Matt is away, so, you know, the kids will play, as they would say. That's oh, a yeah. lot of rhyming. I don't think I've ever rhymed that much on this on this podcast before, but something tells me it maybe has to do with maybe some musical taste that we'll get into later.
1: Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, hey, I think we started talking about it on our first episode that we recorded what a year and a half or a year and some change ago. Fast
0: forward to now. That's exactly right. Uh, Time flies when you're having fun. Was.
1: Yeah, I wonder, is Matt somewhere having fun right now?
0: You know what? He sent some text messages. He's away on business right now, but I think this is one of the first, uh, like, big uh, company-wide business thing conferences. You know, uh, it's internal. Okay. I think if I understand, without giving too much away. But anyway, one of the first times the whole company's gotten together. Uh, they're an international company, I think. So anyway, it looks like a big deal. Gotcha. He's been sending some pictures. Some pictures. There's like, you know, celebrity keynote speakers. You know, the whole spiel.
1: Oh yeah, underscores uh, location or not.
0: Uh, it is disclosed, but we'll withhold it until, uh, until he wants to let us know after the fact, you know, I don't, I don't gotcha. know what he's wearing or where he's going and, and, and people are, you know, you know how people are about letting people know where they are sometimes. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah so, so we're back in action, to, dude. So back in action, two hours ahead, two hours. Um, I was, we were just joking off air that, uh, the last time we did this and you mentioned this already, it was about a year and a half ago. Uh, we were in LA together and we were actually with our buddy, Josh, uh, Horological Chronicles from the out of time podcast and <laughs> the running joke. And we, we haven't let it go is that we did you dirty on the weather. Remember that one?
1: Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, the thing is I'm a native Chicago and I should be used to gold. I should yeah, be used to it. You should be, uh, I, right now it's 49 degrees in Chicago and I am freezing. I'm well, posted up with a sheepskin hoodie.
0: I'll tell you that if we were here, I was. The, the, my joke again was we also would have done you dirty again. It's 48 right now, currently in in uh, in San Gabriel Valley, and as we joked on the last couple episodes, we've been getting pounded with rain. Uh, I'm not original. I'm not a native Angelino, like you know that, and so when people joke that it's raining a lot here, I usually kind of give a little bit of side eye. It's been raining a lot, and it's been cool for Southern California. And so I'm glad that we're on Zoom because otherwise I would have felt really guilty again about bringing you into <laughs> not, you know, the picturesque weather that we've all are accustomed uh, to. At
1: this, at this point, when I get down there, it's going to be in July. Make, make sure it's hot. <laughs>
0: That's probably a better move. All right. So well, you already you already alluded to the fact you are a Chicagoan. I got a set of rapid fire questions. Get us. I think we're already warm, but just something to kind of get us you know, even a little, feeling even a little bit better. So five rapid fire questions. Okay. First thing, you know, it's kind of an either or, and uh, I think we'll have fun with this, but we'll see what you think about it. You might even throw me a curveball. but let's go for it. Ready? Go for it. All right. So the, the, we're going to talk about it a little bit later on, but a number of your watches have Chicago, Illinois on the dial too, right? So it's part of the identity, part of the DNA. Bulls or bears? Uh, You know what? It depends on what sport that you lean more towards, whether you're
1: basketball or football. I mean, Bears, outside of basketball, I mean, there's other teams, the Lakers, Miami Heat, and so on. There's other teams that seem to do pretty well, and you can still root for them at the same time. But when it comes to football, you're kind of stuck. So at this point, I'm a Bears fan, no matter how terrible they are.
0: I, I think I think their future's bright. I think Justin Fields is going to be quite interesting, um, and the conference is down, so we'll see. It might be things might be looking up for the Bears. You know what?
1: Think it's to that point, right? When you think they're about to do something, they fumble at the end. And I mean, without aging myself here, the last time they won, I was five.
0: Yeah, there you go. That gives me an idea. <laughs> I think I know exactly when that was. Uh, Lupe fiasco or common. Oh, man, I
1: when it comes to skill, I would give it to Lupe. But when it comes to longevity and when it comes to actually carrying Chicago initially in the hip hop scene, it would be common.
0: I think that's fair. And common is, I mean, in terms of star power, I think probably on another level in terms of the general, the mainstream. But uh, both super interesting. And uh, I appreciate both of them, too. Lou Malnati's or Giordano's? Neither. that's what i was was hoping you might throw me a curveball there
1: those are chains (laughs) the only time you eat those is when you have or when you have friends that are tourists and they come in from out of town yep outside of that we're not really eating deep dish and actually we have we're, we're known for deep dish but we also have chicago tavern style which is chicago thin and it's made on a cracker crust that's cut in squares and that is typically what people eat like we're not gouging or gorging ourselves with deep dish every single day like i'm not sweating pizza grease so boom you heard it here but if you had to go deep dish there are two two spots i would highly recommend one is pequod's that's p-e-q-u-o-d apostrophe s and there's another one that's newer it's called george's deep dish it's on the it's on the north side and Greek guy, and he uses his grandmother's recipe, I believe. So the actual
0: crust is a sourdough focaccia.
1: It makes for an incredible
0: pizza. Nice. I feel like if Matt were on with us right now, and he may or uh, uh, after the fact, he's going to have some follow up questions on that because he's going to be his ears are are percolating and his he's drooling a little bit at the sound of that. <laughs> Uh, sticking with the, for tourists only the Navy, Navy pier or millennium park. They're kind of, that's kind of the same.
1: I, that's a bit of a wash. All right. It also depends what you're trying to do. What if you're trying to go ride the Ferris wheel, then yeah, Navy pier, or if you want to see some of the attractions that are there, Navy pier. But if you want something that's more just on the street, millennium park. And also, if you want to get towards some shopping, Millennium Park.
0: There you go. We're going to circle back and to that, also I think, they later. Both,
1: well, yeah, they're both in vicinity of each other, too.
0: There you go. Uh, last on the rapid fires, Risky Business or Ferris Bueller's Day Off?
1: Uh, two separate categories, man. They both trigger two separate sets of emotions. But the one that resonated with me more... Because at the same time, I hated going to school. Ferris Bueller's Day
0: Off. There you go. Uh, I would say I would agree with you, and I do think Ferris Bueller again, sort of this larger mainstream impact, you know, and sort of a little bit more uh, probably resonance. But um, risky business. I might go risky business if I if you really made me pick. But either or, you're, you're still you're having a good time watching either one.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, those are kind of kind of niche films.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, all right, I think we're feeling good now. Um, we referenced the last time we were together, it was episode 23 of The Pod, which is crazy to think about how long ago that was, um, over, you know, about a year and a half. And, gosh, we're up to, this will probably be episode 61. So, just to give you a sense, hey. go back and check out that episode, um, everybody, if you haven't had a chance, we really got a chance to know Zakir, Josh, and me. And Zakir had a great time at Salazar, which is a, a super cool uh, Mexican restaurant in Frogtown Dude, The the carne asada fries, I That's still right. think about them. <laughs> those are good. Yeah, those are good. The mezcal list really was good. good. The carne asada fries were bomb. Uh, the heaters were pumping, but we were you know it was a little cool. It was a little cool, but we had a really good time. Well, no, it was after our, it.
1: I was yeah. Sure.
0: and that was that was the irony of it all right i know that's what made it truly ironic um it was after or no it was during the la microlux
1: microlux right yeah it was the town for microlux and you know i can i just in my defense i the weather didn't bother me before this thing happened to me it called turning 40 and right after that it just did a Complete 180 when it comes to weather. At this point, I'm cold when it's under
0: 76. That's just. I mean, we're just talking biology and science at this point.
1: Oh yeah, or <laughs> just um, or as I call it, a, a reverse puberty.
0: <laughs> or uh, what do we talk? Um, oh man, there's like a whole there's a whole field of uh, of aging. Uh, what's it called? Oh man. This uh, is gonna bother me. I'm gonna come back to it. We, there's a whole science of uh, of sort of like the you know the, the aging of folks. I'm gonna come back to that, but uh, I think the reverse puberty works for now. So <laughs> go back to the fir- to episode 23 if you want to get sort of the I learn who Zakir is, right? How Haim came about. You were also just on Rischies with Rodinki and Schmidt, which is another good listen. So I think that was probably within the last three weeks, four weeks, probably.
1: Oh that was right around January 30th when I debuted my L2 chronograph which okay. is the newest model. So that was that episode came out the same day.
0: Got it. So and go check those I, out. I
1: won my lesson. I won my lesson. I have I have some headphones on now so it doesn't sound like I'm holding two cups in a string.
0: <laughs> well, you're you're becoming a a a pro at this point. <laughs> um so but you know, just to sort of repackage it for folks where, you know, we have new listeners since then. And, you know, we share a lot of listeners with, with, uh, with Cheese. but if you had to just sort of give folks an idea of, you know, the quick overview of Hame of yourself, what does it look like? Who are you? Where did it come from? You know, what is Hame? Um, give us, you know, kind of give us another, another elevator pitch on, on sort of you and the company. Of course the best way I would describe my brand Hame watch company.
1: It's the, it's the little engine that could, I'm a small startup. It's something that I initially, it was a passion project of mine. And initially it was just for me, for, no, for nobody else but me. And so I've been in, into watches for as long as I could remember. I've collected watch, or I, I collect watches and I have my own collection. I have some decent pieces. I have some heirloom pieces as well as some affordables. I have a whole wide array, but I wanted to make a watch for me. And I started to do some prototyping, some designs, and then it became the digital renders to actual prototypes. And then I start, I next thing you know, I had actual watches in my hand and I taught myself how to put them together. <laughs> so it wasn't something I didn't, unfortunately, I never had the liberty to go to watch school or anything or a watchmaker school. I've kind of, the things that I do know, I've taught myself. And I've tried to even go as far as hand engraving movements and that type of thing. I bought a bunch of movements to test and I've butchered all of them. They all just went in the trash after. But after I made these prototypes of my original legacy chronograph, I started showing them to friends. And the question I would receive is, well, hell, how do I get one? I want one. And it got to the point where I figured, hey, you know what? I will I will I'll start a brand, and going to the brand name. Like when you start talking about the brand name, I wanted it to be something of a namesake brand, and I wasn't a fan of how my last name sounded on the dial. So my wife, in her wisdom, suggested I spell it backwards. So here we are. So Hame is actually my last name spelled backwards. But after I brought the brand to the brand to life and came up with the marketing, and the first day I announced it, I started getting comments about a band of three sisters. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea who they are. I don't listen to this type of music. So it turns out that there's an actual band with the same name. No, like I wasn't, it's not a tribute to them or anything. <laughs> it's actually my last name spelled, spelled backwards.
0: I would say you have uh you have a pretty firm, you know, flag in the ground on that one, considering the origin of how you came up with yours. And luckily, you know, I would say they're, well, you know, relatively well known, but it's still pretty niche. You know, it's not it's not as bad as like if if you were naming the you know if you name the the brand like you know Coldplay or something. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's still, like, most people if they're, they're not going to be super familiar with the band, which is helpful, right? No, the, I mean the same thing that I said on uh,
1: wrist jeans. it's just like well, I don't know anything about them. I mean, I can tell you about the RZA, Jizza, inspect the deck, and ODB, and you know. <laughs> Like my my knowledge is over there, not necessarily towards uh, the genre of music that they make. It's I'm mean, no knock to it. It's just not something I'm into, so I really don't yeah. have that have that awareness. But uh, so I brought the brand to life, and I I have some struggles. You know, I struggle with business brain and watch collector brain. That's the big one because when it comes to watch collector brain, you want to buy a piece that only ten of them are ever made, and you want something that's rare that nobody else ever has. But from a business standpoint, it's kind of, well, I want to make more and just keep cranking them out and just keep selling them, sell more market saturation versus exclusivity. But at the same time, I'm so I'm trying to walk that walk that line, walk that tightrope, per se, and come up with my own way of doing it. It's. Because at the same time, I want to create pieces that are not necessarily available to everybody. But at the same time, I want them available to everybody. It's very, it's very strange. I'm still, the brand is about two and a half years old and I'm still figuring it out.
0: No, I think actually I'm, I'm, I'm into what you're saying. I think if you've been collecting or just even in the watch, if you've been enjoying watches for a long time, Right. I think a lot of us end up at a, at a place that you just described. Right. I just don't want I want something different. Right. I don't want to show up to, a, you know, a, a meetup or, you know, a coffee with some friends or or even just at the playground, you know, and, and look over and see on the other wrist of somebody else, you know, the same four wrists. Right. The same the same type of watch or the same looking watch. And so at some point you want something That's unique. That maybe speaks to you in a particular way. That you're not going to find every single place that you look for watches. And but ironically, at the same time, you learn to appreciate, you know, the accessibility of certain watches of certain things. And and that's where you're sort of playing. I think is a it's a really neat tightrope.
1: Yeah, it's because at the same time, the market, the price segment that I'm playing in is one is one that should be widely available. Like if we're talking about the sub uh, sub fifteen hundred. That should be something that's available for everybody to get, but at the same time, I'm scaling the number of pieces. So, from a business or growth standpoint, or for the desire of scaling and growing the brand, it's not necessarily doing me any favors there. So, I, you know, it's one of those things I'm still trying to find the balance, and you know, it's taken some time for the momentum to come because after I did the legacy chronograph, I followed it up with the legacy se which was a special edition of of that chronograph and the descent which is a sports watch and no knock to dive watches they're just not my cup of tea per se so i wanted to but i wanted to do a sport watch and something that you could wear to the beach out to dinner if you had to travel and have one watch that would be the one watch you would have with you and it's become more that design for the descent i love it i have people who buy it who love it but Overall reception, some people kind of consider it a hot mustard. It's a bit of an acquired taste.
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. I never thought of that. That's a cool watch, actually, though. Um, and the bezel, I think, was kind of unique. I, I, Remind me yeah. again, is anybody else doing that bezel? Or is that, is that oh, sort of proprietary to you? It's proprietary
1: to me. I call it the dual bezel. It Combined a dive timer and a GMT. So it's So outside of the functionality, it functions as a poor man's GMT. And... So I that watch isn't going anywhere because I also think about the history of other watches. Uh the Royal Oak, for example. When that watch first came out, everybody hated it. <laughs> it was and not well received. We it. Yeah, it wasn't well received and now look where we are now. That
0: yeah, we've talked and, and the other the other thing I think yeah. The other thing I think about in, in how you're saying it, you know, th- some things might not be immediately received. And then, um, you know, at a certain point they, they become almost, you know, what do you mean? It was never, it wasn't always, you know, amazingly popular. And then the other flip side of it too, is as you're describing, there's a longevity, you know, a through line in a lineup and a catalog that traces back over many years, I think it is really important to certain folks. And I think it, it might be important to you. It becomes, sort of representative of the brand in some ways, you know, if you can look at, let's just, you know, for instance, a sub, right. You could trace back a sub over 50, 60 years still right. sort of looks like a sub. Um, and I think there's power in that. And so I, you know, in some ways what you're describing to me, there's power of in course. having sort of uh, consistency. And yeah, of
1: course the, the history and just time the, over time is what you need. And brands tend to ride on their history and their actual heritage and their story, but it's kind of a double-edged sword if you think about it because there are some people that are just adamant about only buying a watch that has history to it. okay, so that means so my question to you is, do you not think there's room for anything new then if you if the only concern is history, then there's really no room for any new players in the game. Because anybody new would be new. They're creating their history that while to you may not be considered history, your great-grandchildren may find it to be history. And it's a, again, it's a fine line. And most people that are into high horology or more heirloom pieces, they're not necessarily searching for micro brands either. And I've always been one where I appreciate everything. The high horology pieces, the micros, the in-betweens. So I have appreciation for them all, especially with micro-brand owners. Like when you start chatting with the owners, and I remember uh, the first time I went to a micro-brand fair and just chatting with these people and hearing their stories, it's pretty inspiring because this is people that are now like maybe within my age range, within my generation or a generation before me, but they're still relevant in – they're still here. They're telling their story and they're doing what they want without, without the rules of what the industry wants you to follow. Like the industry carves out certain rules, quote unquote, that people have to, that in order to get accepted, you have to do this and that, and it has to be Swiss made and no knock to them at all. But there's some pretty good pieces coming from other parts of the world. Some very good pieces. And So, some people go, well, micros, they're not not making their own movement. Well, yeah, micro brand probably doesn't have $200,000 to fork out on equipment. And if you think about it, if you really think about it, Rolex is the biggest micro brand out there. Think about how they got their start. They got their start by purchasing eBosh movements and putting, I don't know if I pronounced it right, but
0: (laughs) good enough for this podcast.
1: But by purchasing those movements that are already there, pre-existing movements, and they cased it themselves, designed their own dial case. That's exactly what a micro brand does. And if you look at the,
0: time,
1: the they if you look at scale. the history
0: of watchmaking, that's that's how it was done, right? You had movement make, you had you had watchmakers making movements, you had case makers, you had dial manufacturers. Even the Trinity was putting these p- putting these different you know uh, um, pieces of, of the of the final product together, but sourcing them from the best of the best that were doing their particular area of the watchmaking manufacturing. Right. It, it's 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 you know we've gotten down so far on the pendulum of of everybody needs to be vertically integrated. What's in in house? Right. We could get into what that even means these days and how shadowy of a concept that is. Um, oh, let's, but we, talk about, let's talk about the meaning of Swiss made. Oh goodness. I mean, what's the, what's the percentage? Can you, I actually don't know if I know if 60, there you go. So, I mean, like, great congratulations, the (laughs) majority, a slight majority of your components.
1: Hey, so if you get the movement and the crystal, if you get a Salida movement and a crystal from somewhere in Switzerland, now you can stamp Swiss made on the watch. Everything else can, everything else can come from uh, Asia or other parts of Europe or the Americas or anywhere else in the world. And I mean, even when you talk about Germany, uh, the Made in Germany stamp, I mean, their stamp is, uh, if I if I am correct, I'm not 100% certain here. I believe it's if your office is headquartered in Germany, you can say Made in Germany, even if nothing is made there.
0: Wow. I, That's interesting.
1: Well, I'd have to double check.
0: Okay. We'll, we'll get the fact checkers on it. We'll get, we have a big staff here behind us at the Spirit of Time podcast. We'll get all the fact checkers on it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> no, I, I think it's it's a great point. I think uh, the the idea of of every of doing it in house, I think, has maybe hit maybe hit its crescendo. At least with collectors or you know the enthusiast crowd, um, and I think there's people sort of falling back to the other side, saying, you know what, I, I don't know if I really care that you do it in house because that doesn't inherently mean it's better. And quite frankly, I just want the best components that are going to be easily serviced. Um, and I'm not even sure if I really want that all in one house anyway. So it's interesting. And I think that's one thing to really appreciate about the microspace, the microgrand space is that that's not really, it's not as important in the way that it is in some of those bigger companies and, and in a way that I think is an asset.
1: Yeah. And, but I mean, in general, watches the entire, the whole thing, because now you can tell time on your phone. So just watches, wristwatches, mechanical watches, quartz, wristwatches, watches watches in general, they are all subjective. So it's all subjective. Everybody will have their opinion and everybody will. There's so many things out there. There's choices for everybody. That's the beauty of choice. And so with my brand, I wanted to remain true to what I see out of myself when I design, because I design all the watches So it's all my way, which it's things that I would want to see on a watch. So all of my influence, because again, I'm not making the movement. So since I can't fully customize the movement the way I want or actually make it myself, I'm kind of at the mercy of the movement manufacturer. So they have their own specifications as far as how thick a watch can be now, Um, how the shape of it, the diameter, the things that you can that you may or may not be able to control because of their specification. However, what what can I control? The dial, the case design, I have full influence on that and that's kind of where I've put, where I try to shine. And I try to, but at the, but my design language is always something that I will do for me. Like I get a lot of questions. Hey, will you ever make a 42 or 43 millimeter watch? I would love to, unfortunately, unfortunately no and the number one reason is i am gifted or cursed with a small wrist so <laughs> that being said i can't i can't wear a 42 millimeter watch myself so if i can't wear something I make myself then it kind of defeats the purpose there
0: yeah now, I think unless it,
1: there's a group of 500 people saying hey we all want and we're ready to pay for it sure i'll do a special order for you but <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, right, I mean, when you're the sort of, you know, proprietor, I think, obviously, you said earlier, I make things that I like, right? Like, you're going to you are gonna be selling people your vision, your passion, and it's because it's something that you would have on your wrist, right? right? So,
1: yeah, I, so this year, I, again, I started off with the Legacy, then the SE and the Descent, and now I rolled out the L2. The Let's legacy. talk about that.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's going to be a big focus on our chat. All right. Because I mean, we're, you're sort of, this has been a big lift. It's been a heavy lift for you, but also big and and kind of exciting. I have the pink gold on right now. Nice. Nice. And we've we've had had a chance to check out the whole collection. So tell us about it. Tell us, tell us about the L2 because this is, this is pretty cool. So it's the second generation of the
1: uh, – so any – so that family of watches are called the Legacy. So that's the second generation, the official second generation of it. And I wanted it to be a chronograph. And I've already – this is – I've already put this out there on the Risk Juice podcast. I do have plans of uh, coming out with a time-only version, which would be an automatic caliber. And I want to call that the Legacy Automatic or Elmatic. No, no pun intended towards Illumatic, but that's uh, that's something will, that I, I don't think you'll get a
0: copyright infringement from Nas on this one. No,
1: <laughs> um, I've already started the renders for it, and I've shared them with a very close friend of mine, and the feedback has been pretty good. But I also, I mean, this person that I share things with, he also tells me if something is just not well, or if something is just garbage <laughs> i mean he will he'll be honest with me so he's and a real one what, yeah so I, I appreciate his feedback i don't want somebody who would just tell me hey this is great this is great this is great when it's not but going back to the l2 chronograph uh it's the second generation i wanted something that leans more towards uh, a dress style of a watch i wanted to do something with a brace with, with a leather strap versus a bracelet and with a bracelet, I, if I ever, if I come out with a bracelet, it's going to be done in a way that I want. Like, I don't want to do another repetitive of an oyster bracelet or a Jubilee bracelet or just another standard issue beads of rice. I want to do something that's a bit original as well as certain features on it. And right now, what I have in my head is almost, from an engineering standpoint, is almost impossible right now. Have not been able to crack that code. So once I can crack that code, I will prototype it, and if I'm able to prototype it and get the tooling done, then it's something that I would start to share with everybody and see how what the reception is. If P, if there's a demand, I would put it in production. But at the same time, if you're tooling a brand new bracelet bracelet, that has a cost associated with it too, and that cost is not cheap, and especially when you are up. Little engine that brand little engine that could brand without a marketing budget. Like if I don't have money to dump towards marketing, even the tooling becomes a bit difficult. So I so with this with the brace with the leather straps, at least the benefit is you can change them out to whatever you want. You can put your own strap on it, give it your your own character. It came out with four different dial themes, and each theme it kind of gives you a different feel for the watch itself. So during the pre-order phase, I had all four available as one collection. And I sold a handful of those. But most people wanted to buy certain watches. There are certain dials that stood out to them. So there's four dials, the, uh, the Grey Glacier, the Aqua Ocean, uh, Dark Cobalt, and Pink Gold. You're wearing the Pink Gold. I'm actually wearing the Aqua Ocean because it is cold right now. But I want to feel like I'm somewhere in somewhere warm. Like this watch screams summer. When I see it, all I could think about is putting on a linen shirt.
0: 100%. Um, I think the Pink Gold and the Aqua Ocean are just That's bold, delicious. fun, and and funky. And, um, and and then, you know, I think the Cobalt and the um, the Glacier are classy. So there's a nice mix, right. you know, that you can kind of get through there.
1: Oh, yeah. And with the Dark Cobalt, like if you wanted a wash that you could wear with a suit, uh, with a full suit inside, uh, as a black tie event, or if you wanted to really dress up, that dark cobalt does the job exceptionally well. Same thing with the Great Glacier. Like, that's something, that's a watch that you can wear to the office. And there's, with the, because when you talk about the Great Glacier, it's a silver, a silver-esque dial with gold accents as well as thermal chronograph hands. So there's a lot of different colors. And so far the reception, because I've sent them off to a couple of reviewers, you, you have them right now but I also had them at the district time show
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the feedback from district time, everybody who saw them, the feedback was, dude, these are way better in person than pictures. So that's telling me that I'm doing a terrible job at photography and I need to figure out how to, <laughs> how to what to do with the, from a photography standpoint. But the, that's been the biggest piece of feedback I've received is, Hey, in person, these are so much better. Even when you talk, check out the case, I went all in on the details just on the case. If you yeah, see let's talk design, about it. Yeah, if you see the design of the ca- of the case, if you see the side finishing, the polished and brushed edges, if you see the little curve on the side of the case, if you see how the lugs are shaped, there's cha- there's additional chamfering on it. So I've chambered mm-hmm. around the bezel and all the lugs. The case wears very well. It's 10.8 millimeters thick for a chronograph where the dial has three
0: different layers. The lugs are fantastic, right? I mean, I it, it, it's hard not to talk about them. Is there an inspiration for those? Is that something you sort of just, uh, how did that come together? Well,
1: it's the, the old, uh, I mean, from the older Corns de Bash, the mm-hmm. lugs, it's the inspiration came from that. But I wanted to do something a bit more modern. So rather than those, uh, the older style was pretty much rounded all around. Then I've seen some newer takes that are just very sharp. Uh, what I've done is a combination of round and sharp. So it's a bit sharp coming out, but then it rounds at the end of the mug. And the dimensions fit a wide variety of wrists. It's 45 millimeters from top to bottom. The case diameter is 38 millimeters. The, again, the thickness. I So when I design a watch, I ask myself, well, what are the top three things that are the most important to me in the, in the design? And for this one, number one was thickness i chronographs are known for being thick i was able to do every i was able to get this done but di- again i'm not compromising on the dial design because that's my influence that is what i can influence so the dial i've designed it at three different layers there's multiple different uh there's different types of brushing on the dial so you have a radial uh, brushing as well as a vertical there's applied accents the on the pink gold the hands are thermal blue the numbers are applied numbers, but they are chemically treated. Um, with the dark cobalt, those are applied too. So those, two of them have breguet numerals. Two of them have stick markers with the Roman numeral 12. So it's a bit of a choice as far as what style you gravitate towards to more. So even coming up with this, then I thought about the movement. Again, I wanted, I wanted something with two subdials because I wanted it to be clean. I didn't want to go the three-sub dial route. But at the same time, I wanted it to, again, thinness, thinness, thinness. That is just, that's the number one thing that's at the top of my head. So I checked out all a variety of movements, the Salita 500 and other movements. But everything that I would get to would put me at this dial design at 14 millimeters minimum or higher. And I I just didn't want to do it. Even the 10.8. I even the 10.8 was a bit much for me, but there's no way I could bring it down to, unless I start making the dial two layers or even one layer. But by keeping it at three, I was still able to get 10.8. But the way the lugs taper down when you actually wear it. So if you measure it while it's on the wrist, it actually measures. So watch clicker did a pretty good measurement when they had it for uh, review. So the if you hold it up and you measure it, it's 10.8. But if you put it on the wrist and measure it, it drops it down to about 9.8.
0: I think that's a good measurement for folks to keep note of too, right? Like is where I think outlets are doing a better job, right? Including weight, you know, how many grams is they watch head or, 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 you know, if it's on a bracelet and then things like that, like where the, where the, 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 the the strap, you know, is connected to the lug where it's going to, like you just said, where it's going to actually sit on your wrist. That's an important measurement to me. Right. And for this one, I, when I started
1: thinking about straps and what kind of straps I wanted to go with, I... Initially, I had prototyped some straps, but I wasn't necessarily impressed with the way they felt. They felt rather stiff. And initially, I've, I've learned from a previous model. like With the Legacy SE, my Strap Maker, I had to go through two batches of straps because the first one ended up, uh, there were some straps that just started to fall apart. I didn't want that to happen again because then I had to remake the straps, and that's an added expense. So you know, uh, thankfully the thankfully the friends of the brand or brand people who own my pieces, they're great people, so they've been very understanding and I appreciate that. But I for this model I wanted to make sure that doesn't happen again, so I started thinking about what I wear personally, and one brand that personally stood out to me is uh, Deluxe. Their straps are they're wonderful. They they're soft, they require zero break-in. You don't you can just take it right out and wear it. And they feel I mean, they feel excellent. So I've reached out to them. Like, you know, what? I would want you guys to do straps for me. And Ken, the owner, he was gracious enough to, you know, he checked out my brand and my brand story. And he felt that it was something that would also resonate with them as well. So he was on board.
0: That's a home run. Um, a, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain, and I, actually I know the answer to this, but just putting it out there, I guess. The combinations that you put together, so you know, the strapped, the strap color to each particular colorway of, of the of the of the dials and the contrast stitching is like beautiful. Everybody on here probably knows about deluxe now, so you know what you're getting. Um, and not that you would ever take this off a hame watch, but I think it's a super value add when you get a watch and you know that you could put it on other <laughs> other watches if you really wanted to, because the strap is that good. You're like, wow, okay, this is great. Oh, yeah, you can take take the strap and put it somewhere else. Or if you have a different strap, you can put it on. So the
1: colors that I chose for each dial in general, I wanted to go the safe route because I don't know the majority of the people that are buying the watches. I don't know the majority of their preferences. Some people may want a bolder strap. Some people may want something that's a bit more tame. So you know what? I will go safe. And if you want to jazz it up, quick release. Take take the strap off. put, Put something else that you want. But I'll say I.
0: I think them. they're fantastic. I think they're great. I think the only one that's even you, you might even call bold is probably on the Aqua Ocean, just because it's like as cool. You know, the contrast stitching is so cool. But I think it's they knocked it out of the park. I I did I did move the blue strap off of the Cobalt onto the Pink Gold just to give that yeah, an I interesting that look. In yeah, but other than mentioned. that, it, it, it was just for fun. There's no reason. I mean, these are all perfectly. They're literally expertly paired. I love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know,
1: I mean, I'm a big proponent of customization. So I feel that when you have your watches, you should be able to customize them how you want. And also, again, not everybody is forking out money for new watches every two months. And, you know, when you're wearing a watch and again, watch people who collect watches, people who have more than two watches, if you may. We are very finicky people. We get bored very fast.
0: We're, we we're, we're, we're a
1: special bunch <laughs> we're oh, a very oh, yeah. special bunch so with that you know I mean we're buying a bunch of different watches and getting ourselves into situations to buy or to fund these watches I've heard stories about people taking out second mortg- mortgages to pay for a watch and yeah so it can it can get there so you know why not if you have a watch why not just switch out the strap for a $150 it's a much cheaper way
0: to make the watch feel new again that's hundred percent. Right. And while we're on the strap, I love the buckle too. I think your buckle is fantastic. I think it adds character. It's, um, that's it's not more sort of Art a, Deco. yeah, yeah. I mean, people sort of can mail that in sometimes and you didn't. So I think that's a really nice, um, feature as well. Um, uh, I Thanks. have a question for you though. So Go for it. we talk a lot, and I think we talked about it the last time on our pot uh, on our episode too, but we talk about it it's sort of in this space. Why, why did you have a two phase pre-order, Um, and decide to go the Kickstarter route again, right? Like there's, I'm sure you had options and I'm curious how that, how you settled on that approach for the L2.
1: Yep. So first, uh, I yeah, that's a good question. My first answer to it is, let's talk about watch companies and pre-orders in general. So most watch companies or most brands that are not typical, typical fashion watches um i just saw you take a drink or something so you know what um here i have again spirit of time i have water i've been observing ramadan so i have some water right now
0: Uh, i i I didn't i didn't i didn't try to force a drink check in earlier because i knew that you were you know you know you're you're in midst of uh of that so
1: no no worries i just saw i figured you know i'll let you let you do your thing (laughs) so but so with pre-orders and watch brands, if you're not a fashion watch where you're cranking cuz again, uh, there some brands rely or their business model is hey let's let's crank out uh, 10,000 units and let's just sell them for dirt cheap but just saturate the market. Uh, from a lot of micro brands, our biggest fear is retaining inventory. Like we don't want inventory, so when you do pre-orders, it one allows you to take to alleviate some of the the cost, the overhead you can alleviate some of the overhead, but also now you can actually forecast your demand. So if my demand comes in low, then maybe this watch may need to be put the rest, or I need to figure out a way where I can crank out a very small volume to fulfill the the order. Or if it has an exceptional demand, now I know, hey, I can really do a pretty good size order and sell through these pretty quickly because, Every year, I've watches. I mean, right now through the age of social media and where everything is just so fast. Like the L two, I announced it January thirtieth. We're two months in on March thirtieth, and it's already old news. It shouldn't be that way. But
0: two no, months—it's cra- crazy. Old news. It's crazy. And that's a function of of sort of like you said, the watch sphere these days. It's a little bit of function our 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 social or just our social constructs, but you're right. That's crazy. That should be something you should be celebrating for like weeks and months and, you know.
1: Oh yeah. And because I mean, the the amount of time that it takes to actually prototype and design and prototype a watch. So by the time it even gets announced, like the L2 was in, it was in works for about a year and a half before even being announced. So that's how. I mean, that's how much time it took to get everything right. I had to prototype a few different cases. I had to prototype the dial several times because if I didn't, if I wasn't satisfied with how something came out, I went back to the drawing board. So, uh, not wanting to have inventory—that's kind of the big goal of, the, of our of brands, uh, micro brands, and just brands in general. Like you don't want to have that inventory because what ends up happening—you come out with a new model and the attention span nowadays, it's, hey, new is always better than the old gets forgotten unless you already have it. So I don't want to come out with a new model while I'm still sitting on 200 of another model. It almost makes no sense. Now I'm just hoarding inventory that I possibly that I, that I will have a very hard time moving. Because again, I don't have a marketing budget. And marketing is a whole different conversation. That's something we can spend an entire, an entire podcast talking about, especially the experiences that I've had with publications and with some of the outlets and some of the media in the watch sphere. I that's an entire podcast
0: episode by itself, (laughs) some positive, some less so, if I understand correctly.
1: Oh, yeah, there's some really great people. But then there are some people that it's just pay cash rules, everything around them. Cream. Yeah. But uh, again, so going back to the inventory. So when I announced the L2, I kind of started to show off just the parts. Start to show off the case because the case design itself is impressive. I would put this case up against a ten fifteen thousand dollar watch. I would put this case up against any case that falls in that price point. That's how confident I am in this case design. And if you see the level of finishing, if you see how detailed, where even if you check the bottom of it, where the case back is, the underside of the case back is brushed finishing. But if you see the side right at the bottom, it's polished. That's right. So just very small details. And that was something. Yeah. A, really um,
0: a close. You got a, a lot of space on the case back. I feel like you could have fun engraving this too.
1: That's why I kept it that way.
0: So if anybody wants to engrave something, you're more than welcome to engrave something.
1: Or if you just wanted to, if you just wanted it to be clean, it's set. And if you open the case back, it has a full prolage finishing too. So I, I didn't spare any detail when it comes to the case. And so I started sharing off the case. Then I debuted each individual dial. There's four dials. And just by showing off each individual dial, I was able to gauge reception there. So then when I announced the, the watches, because now you can see, because you can see the case, cool. There's no dial, no hands, nothing. Then you see the dial, okay, but it's not in the case. But now when you see it together, you can visu- visualize the entire picture. And that's when... Like, this watch has been very well received. Uh, Very, very well received, and I am thankful for it. So then I started to, you know, I was prepping how, I was deciding how I wanted to launch it. When I did my very first watch, I did it independently, just through the community. I didn't go through any crowdfunding source or anything. I did it independently and then paid the rest of the difference out of pocket. It got the job done. But I wanted to figure out how do I reach more people. So for the, for the SE, or from the time we met, I put it on Kickstarter. I wanted to try it out. Not necessarily, I mean, and I know there's a stigma with it, but when you think about what Kickstarter actually gives you, it gives you from a marketing standpoint, it's invaluable. In the sense of the marketing reach, the customer segment you can reach. Like when I, when I started getting orders from New Zealand, When I started getting orders from Australia, when I started getting orders from South Korea and Singapore and other parts that I wouldn't have been able to reach on my own, that's when it hit me. Okay, this, the marketing reach is phenomenal. So when I came out, so when I started to open up the pre-orders for this model, I had people just in my, I had people emailing. I had people on Instagram sending me messages and on Facebook, like, Hey, I want that watch. It's gorgeous. How do I get one? How do I get one? Like, you know what, everybody who reached out, I'm just going to do a, sp- a straight seven day pre-order through my website. And for seven days, I was able to put the watch in produ- for, so from the timeline that I had, as far as starting the pre-orders versus putting the watch in production versus getting it shipped out, I was able to start production two months early, which is great. Like it, that first day, the numbers that I did was I, it defied any expectation that I had. So the, the forecast that I had, I tripled it.
0: That's amazing. So
1: it pretty yeah, it was a pretty good number. But So that went on for seven days. But at the same time, that's through me, through my marketing efforts. I, yeah, pay. you know what, the whole Facebook ad space and the social media ads, it's still something I am navigating. And what's crazy is right when you start to learn it, they switch the algorithm on you. So, when I started, when I taught myself how to finally sort out Facebook ads and how to get them up and running, and when I started to have um, ads that had some impact, Facebook or Meta switched the algorithm. So now that the same uh, pro- protocols that I would use don't work anymore. So now I'm back to square one. And you keep, it keeps happening. So it's like, how do you, like, how are you supposed
0: to win from them? Yeah. No, I, I agree so, with you. I think that the, the algorithm and, and sort of navigating how they make changes without really, you know, in a black box, you know, sort of a, a very opaque way is, is frustrating. And I've heard from from other brands too, you know, the minute you start, you know, putting money into, you know, the Facebook ads, the Insta, IG ads, whatever, it's almost like you can't stop. Because the minute you stop, it, it's, it's like sometimes the engagement just falls off a cliff. And it's like, it's almost oh, yeah. like they just want to get you on the treadmill.
1: Yep, I and that's and that happened to me too. Because as soon as I ran ads for a certain time period, all of a sudden my engagement just tapered down. So I so I have to do a lot more work. So I'm pretty much doing triple the work for the same amount of results as um, a brand that can scale or that has the backing in that sense. I, now, I want to
0: give you a compliment though because um, you know, like you said, you don't have a marketing team per se, but I think you were really wise. In how you trickled out, you know, the L2 from components, right? Dials, hands, cases, fully cased. That to me was engaging. And you knew when a new HAME post arrived in your feed, you wanted to know what was there, right? Because you knew the sequence, like, oh, there's going to be more, right? There's going to be a bigger tease. There's going to be a little bit more information. And I think that's a really wise strategy. So kudos. I think that was really nicely done.
1: Hey, thank you. Yeah, that it it worked out. I think I would probably do it again, especially with the legacy automatic. I started doing some rendering and I have some I have a couple because it's going to be built off the L2 model. So the casing will be built off that. But I have a couple tricks up my sleeve. So I think when uh, I think when the prototype happens, I will show you and you'll see what I'm talking about.
0: There you go. Now we're talking. All right. Uh So.
1: So I so I had people who wanted to watch and I just wasn't while I was trying to figure out how I could do it, I just did it to my website. Sales were great, but then I still wanted that marketing reach. I still wanted to reach a wider audience, so I did a round one Kickstarter. And when I think about it, there may have been a bit of confusion because some people were like, Well, hey, I already pre-ordered. I thought you already you already said, Why are you a Kickstarter? Like, because I want the marketing. Like there's no other reason. It's just I want the marketing. They are valuable in that sense from a marketing standpoint they it's incredible the reach that you can get i cannot stress it enough because when you start getting orders from obscure parts of the world that i that you know you wouldn't have reached otherwise that shows you because now and what's happened to me in the past is from those same countries where i've had those orders they probably showed the watches to their friends and i've got a few more orders i got more orders that came in out of it
0: so here's a, new, here's a news flash, right? For the watch community, right? The, the watch buying audience is much bigger than sort of, you know, this, the, this the, the echo, not the echo chamber, but the sort of this communities that we exist in. It's much bigger than that, and especially for a business owner.
1: Oh, yeah, it's much bigger because, you know, you have the figure you have your enthusiasts, then you have somebody who just who may be just starting or who are just starting to get into watches. Or if you have someone who finally just graduated college and just want, hey, I want a decent watch because I'm about to start my actual big uh, big boy or big girl job. And now I just want a decent watch. I don't want to wear an Apple watch and kind of look like a spy kid. So, <laughs> I, I know that was a cheap shot. I got to stop. No, That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's so the cus- the consumer segments are varied. So I went that way and it caused a bit of confusion. But what I did as a differentiator, the initial early pre-order, I gave the best possible price I could. The Again, you're talking about this chronograph, the finishing that it has. You have it in front of you in person with a full deluxe strap for $325. That was what the pre-order price was. So that, the That's MSRP crazy. is $450. The MSRP is $450, which is even then. The strap alone is a $100. That's an incredible value proposition, and again, with Haim uh, from a pricing ethos, I don't, I don't want to. I would like to stay under under two thousand dollars on all pieces, so I don't think I would come out with a piece that is over two thousand dollars.
0: You know, I think um, so. Watches and Wonders is we're in the midst of Watches and Wonders right now. We're recording right. um, on. I, I have say? opinions. I have opinions, and I want to say how I
1: really feel. But as someone, I feel, I feel okay. I have my own brand, so now anything I say will have some screw will be will scrutinized. So there's nothing I can really say without sounding like a hater.
0: (laughs) I'll I'll say it right because I'm not a brand owner. The, the 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 price increases are obvious, and I think there's. It's clear to me, at least from my perspective, that many brands are focusing on a higher margin per piece. And you're seeing that reflected across sort of a number of lines, a number of brands. And I think it's reflective of maybe the economy in general and and sort of inflation. But um, it's interesting and it's kind of refreshing to hear a brand owner say that there's a threshold at which they'd like to keep their catalog. Because that does not seem to be reflective of a lot of folks in in the space right now. Well, I so that's a I have a two part answer for that. So with with Haim,
1: uh, again, I it's kind of a nod to my own upbringing. I grew up with very little means. I I mean, if you have to use the kitchen oven to heat your apartment, that kind of sums it up. <laughs> I grew up in a certain neighborhood of Chicago, in Chicago, where it's kind of like yeah, after after. 2 p.m., you kind of don't want to be here. And so I, you know, Ali will never, that made me who I am. I'll never forget that. That's part of me. But so at the same time, I remember when I didn't have anything. Like I never had anything that was passed down to me. I come, I'm the first generation, I'm a first generation immigrant of parents who survived the genocide. So I've had to do everything myself, did everything on my own. And when I started this brand or not when I started this brand, but I remember a point in time when I wanted those nice things, when I saw like, oh man, they, uh, the, the Rolex and the nice car and whatever. And I couldn't afford it. I could barely afford food. So I, so it's kind of that ode So I still want to have a watch. Or I still want to have something that where the design is, it punches above its weight. The design can play with other higher end pieces, but yet it's, it's still accessible for people who maybe are just starting off or for people who may who may not have the access. So that's that. But on the flip side of it, I have ideas in my head. So I do want to toy with a sub-brand eventually at some point where it will be in the over 2000 price point. And with that, it'll be a sub-brand. It won't be under HAME. Now I'm actually thinking I will actually use my first initial and my last name. I still want it to be a namesake. So now this would be, instead of it spelled backwards, it's going to be spelled the right way with my first initial.
0: I like that. But, that's cool.
1: But with that, the with that's going to be a lot more hand work. So the dials, the finishing, the movement work, a lot of, a lot of things are going to be done by hand versus machine. And, you know, there's an added cost there. There's a huge cost. But that falls under high horology, if you may.
0: Or just and a- let me be clear too when there is like like you said you know we're, we're all, many of us listening to this right now are collectors right so we have pieces we have watches up and down the price spectrum when there are justifications for a certain price point i'm i'm there i understand it i'm there for it we all acknowledge and, and respect those things um i'm just sort of against the sort of I don't want to call it colluding, but sort of the overall (laughs) idea that sort of prices need to raise uh, just for the sake of it. Um, But to your point, hand finishing certain things, certain elements, um, certain features that, that, that require a premium. No problem. Right. That's all good. We want now, that. That's what makes this special. I feel, now, as far as those,
1: because again, I, I still collect watches myself. I don't think I'll ever stop just because I have my, even just if I have my own brand, I, I love it. So I'm actually on the wait list for one piece. I'm not going to say what, but I am on a wait list for a piece and I had managed to scrounge up the pennies for it, put it away. Then I get a notice, hey, the prices are going up. So now it's like, oh, great. Now I have to find an extra, find an extra 10 grand somehow. Well, I thankfully, I still have my day job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, but even then, I, I feel like, okay, the price is jumping up annually. I feel like there's a bit of a conspiracy where it's kind of like they're just trying to segment a certain crowd. A segment really, I mean, you know, the ones that really do have the money. And segment the ones that really have that generational wealth, or just money that that they have old money. I think it's kind of like they're trying to reach those those consumers, and possibly even those consumers are probably throwing a fit. Well, hey, well, how come how come Mister New, Mister New Money can still buy the same piece that I have? So now I'm maybe I'm not special anymore. I don't know. I'm just throwing these are just conspiracy theories that I'm tossing out there.
0: I, 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 I No, I think I think they're all on the table, you know, and, and, and not to get us too far off topic. I think, like you said, this is a whole nother conversation, maybe in terms of the industry itself. But it's just it, like you said, to people like you and me and a lot of people listening, it's clear. It's very clear sort of the trajectory of, of sort of the MSRP of things. And um, there's a lot of factors. And I can't say I'm super thrilled about a lot of them.
1: Oh, no I can I can tell you this even so right now the L2 chronograph um, it's MSRP at $450. my margin is not high but again at the same time that is what the the price segment that I'm competing in. So I, unfortunately I can't increase it even though DHL UPS and FedEx are going to tell me hey in beginning in 2023 all of your shipping costs are going up 25% um, then my then when you try to get get casing done after you have it tooled, now uh, your casing manufacturers are like, oh, guess what? Your minimum orders have to go up by another 200.
0: And like you're kind of stuck there. And that's well, sense. they're real-world problems, right? I mean, yeah. th- that's that's oh, but at the un- same I- time.
1: I can't I can't job re- I can't really raise the cost to make up for it because now I'm priced out. So if, if I have a if I have a VK sixty four caliber, I need to stay within that price point. So to make it more advertising, again, the the finishing when you take a, when you take a look at the watch it does not feel like a $450 watch i've held that watch side by side next to a datejust you could not tell that that's a $450 piece next to a $9000 piece there's no way you could tell It'd be just because of how it's finished but when you check under the hood like okay well this one is running on a battery versus this one running on an autumn on a winding rotor Which, well, yeah, that's where the difference is. But also, if I wanted to put the winding rotor, then it becomes a hockey puck. And I really don't want to go. But also, watch collector aside. Now you talk about your general buyer. And I've been to enough watch fairs where you run into people that are not necessarily collectors, but they appreciate a nice watch. And their thing is, well, man, you know what? I don't want to maintain it. I don't want to wind it. I don't want to have to set the time. I just want to put it on and have it work.
0: That's a very real sentiment. That's a very real, that's a very normal, real world feeling about having a watch.
1: Right. I remember I've had somebody, I had, I had a customer who bought a Descent and then they sent me an email complaining that the watch was broke, but because they didn't wear it for a week and it died. Well, you need to wind it. (laughs) So I mean, they they understood now, and now it makes sense. But you know, they didn't know that. And there's a handful of people that don't know it. There's a handful of people who know it and don't care. They still don't want to deal with that added maintenance. So, but at the on the flip side of it, you have your the actual. If you start digging into the history of the movements, and even uh, with the Seiko quartz, and when you start thinking about the history of the quartz crisis in the '70s and such, and There's still some historical significance that can still appease those who are really drawn to that. So I have no qualms with the movement choice. I stand by it. I view it personally. I think it's great. It's it's fairly accurate. Easy to maintain. The watcher looks great. You don't have to do anything but put it on. And on top of it, it's still, it's, the design is, I think the design is, is exceptional. If you think about having a, a chronograph, which are known to be thick, um, a chronograph with a dial, that's three different layers, and it's still coming in at 10.8. Also, if you check out the check out the watches, you have the prototypes. Check out the clarity of it. The uh, Something else I did. This is another added cost. Each crystal, I have five layers of AR coding on it. The AR coding is typically... Two layers. If you look at the pink gold, look how legible it is. When yeah, you take pictures, that's right. the pictures, there's barely any glare, and I've done that intentionally. That's something I'll, that is an added cost that I've not passed on to anybody.
0: I'll tell you what. I took a ton of photos with these. So I can't wait to share them. Um, and and it was there. It, it, it was a lot of fun to shoot the watches because of, of partly because of what you're describing. They they just they they're. It, it, you were saying earlier the picture you know the pictures don't do justice sometimes that's the case for all watches. I'm, I'm not, I don't think you should really you know weigh on yourself too much for that. I think it's just a, the idea of, of getting you know watches in hand um, but these these are fun these were fun to shoot.
1: yep yeah, and I, I had a couple other people take some pictures and they've all complimented the same thing.' I'm like hey, you know what it's very easy to shoot. I don't get much, I don't have to do much glare reduction. And I held it next to a Breguet Type 20 chronograph. And even then, those two watches, if you see the glare on the Breguet, just like, geez, like I could barely tell the time because of all the all the distortion, if you may, on the crystal. Versus, if you're checking this out, I mean, that really... So there's things that I've done that are not necessarily things that people think about. But it's things that I thought about, like things that bug me in a watch. Like, hey, how can I fix this? Uh, How can I fix this within what I can actually control?
0: There you go. So I think, you know, to sort of, um, I think this is an opportunity, right, for you to be in front of people, whether it's at a show, whether it's on a pod, to highlight some of these choices, some of these add-ons, some of these features, some of these value adds. So that people can consider them when they're looking at the watches uh, whether it's in person or, or online. Um, and hopefully, you know, this is a, an opportunity for folks to do that. So in the, in the, in the interest of time, right. Let's wrap it up with some interesting stuff about Zakir. Ah, go for it. All right. Go so
1: I, I try not to, like, I try to let you steer the conversation versus, versus me. I don't, a like guy, a couple things. I mean, my my name, my own my my own personal integrity means a lot to me. So even though, even when it comes to reviews, I mean, I've I've heard situations of companies telling people to take down a bad review or pay them for certain things so they can manipulate how it appears. And uh, I can't. I just I
0: won't do that. It's not you. It's not you. And I don't think it's a, uh, it's, I mean, it's just not uh, a full picture, you know, and like you said, you stand, you stand by your product cause you know what it is. You, you designed it and um, and you've been, you know, all along every stage of it and you know what it means. So um, speaking of, I think I might know the answer to this, but what's your favorite watch complication?
1: My favorite watch complication, if you may, I, it's changed. Because I remember at one point in time, I was a huge fan of just perpetual calendars. Then I became a huge fan of chronographs. Then I started to gravitate towards time only pieces. Now, at the same time, I right now, if I could just shoot one off the top of my head, it would be a chronograph, especially yeah, I, the, I, two the two registers. The three registers tend to be too much for me. Like, there's too much going on. If you have a nice, clean two register... It fills up the space within the dial. There's some functionality there, and it just really it it stands out. It enhances the overall feel of the dial. I agree um, with you. Moon phases are nice, but I have yet to
0: come up with a real world use case scenario for me personally. I, I'm with you. I'm dying to add something with a moon phase just for the sort of... Um, idea of it the romanticism of it um not for any practical purpose yep
1: yeah, so i have uh i have thoughts i have plans in my head for a watch that would incorporate a moon face and it would be just for that specific
0: reason i won't there won't be any new ground to break there no um all right so we've got let's just say 24 hours right we're in for a day trip to chicago yep. surrounding area right doesn't have to be chicago proper we'll expand it out okay. you know Take us on a best of tour, right? Could be food, could be shopping, could be sightseeing. Maybe there's watches. We got a day in Chicago with zakir What are we doing? Where are we going?
1: Oh man, when it comes to shopping, our sales tax is kind of is kind of up there. So <laughs> I'd I'd err on the side of caution there. <laughs>
0: I'll say this real quick before I interrupt you. My sister came in, my sister uh, from out of town, and and she she bought some clothes in L.A. and she was shocked at the sales. Tax. She's like, I would not have bought any of this stuff had I known what your sales tax was. <laughs> Sorry, what can you do? Well, you
1: can Carry on. well you can go to you can go to Minneapolis and pretty much pay nothing, or Portland, or parts of Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah, well, that's where my fa- that's where she came from.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh no, uh, twenty four. So I'm uh I'm a big food person. So if I had to if I had to take you on a twenty four hour food, food tour, um, one thing about Chicago is it's a neighborhood, or it's a city of neighborhoods. So it's a city of neighborhoods, it's a city of, of communities, different ethnicities. At one point in time, Chicago was also the most segregated city in the country. And by that, each nationality or each ethnicity kind of stood, they stuck to their own neighborhood and they kind of kept their own pocket. So now you still have remnants of it. It's becoming much more, blend, like New York City is pretty blended. Chicago, in the 90s, it was not. And it's becoming more blended now than it was before. Still got some ways to go, but even as a result, now you still have your different neighborhoods. You have your little India, you have Koreatown, you have uh, your uh, little Palestine, you have um, Chinatown, you have uh, Italian, you have Italian, yeah, Italian uh, or Little Italy. You have Greek town. You have just so many different. You have Pilsen. Pilsen is a if you if you're into Mexican food hillside is where you want to go same thing with a little village there's also parts of rogers park up north where that has great mexican food so there's different communities but they've all kind of stuck together it's starting to open up a bit so i would really say is to find out i would really before i try to take you on a 24 hour tour i'd want to find out what you're into if you're open to trying new things then it's fun now you can be a mad scientist but if you know if, if you know, okay, I really can't eat so and so just because I cannot deal with anything spicy or something else, then my first response would be I'm sorry. Uh, second, <laughs> second, I will Plus try it. to accommodate. <laughs> but I would definitely I would definitely do a food tour. There are some pretty good places outside of the city proper if you get into some of the suburbs. So if you go into if you're into Arabic food, uh, if you may. Uh, or food within the Arab region. Uh, there's a suburb called Bridgeview, and outside of Dearborn, Michigan, that is the second biggest Arabic population within the U.S. And it's uh 35 minutes away from the city of Chicago proper, but the food incredible. I would go there. Then there's also a lot of fusion spots that are opening up too. So there's different things. I mean, it's not as L.A. It's not the L.A. type of fusion. You guys have fusion down packed. Like I've never heard of. Like, I've never heard of like a, a Thai Argentinian
0: fusion until. <laughs> right, right.
1: Look, like, in, in L.A., you guys will find a way to fuse anything together.
0: You're right. They, 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 like, you know, nothing will be. Nothing is off the table.
1: Oh, I was like oh help uh, fruit loops and spaghetti let's do it <laughs> <laughs> We're in LA why not yeah so I mean I yeah first find out what you're into but there's definitely there's definitely hidden gems and there's hidden pockets uh again the the fun or the trick that I'm really enjoying in Chicago or having the full experience is to go into the neighborhoods they're trying to avoid some of the touristy stuff and just go into the neighborhoods you will have a great time
0: yeah, you kind of alluded to that earlier when I put you on the spot for uh, for for deep dish pizza, and you set the record straight. So I, I think uh, that the, the point is get out, explore, and um, and don't fall into just the, the, the trappings of of uh, you know an internet must visit list, right? right. Um, all right, biggest question of the evening: top three hip hop MCs in Zakir's estimation.
1: Man of all time, or
0: all time, just... and I'm limiting it to three because I want this to be very difficult on you. I could have made it five or even lo- no. I want your top three. Uh, now, are we talking about sing uh, individual artists or groups? I'll open it up if you want it to be like, for instance, obviously, I think you know Wu Tang and its members. I I will respect that. I'm giving you three choices, though.
1: Three choices. I if I'm talking about. I'm not going to talk about mainstream appeal, but I'm talking about from, uh, if you talk about technicality, it's your choice. Technical-
0: it's your choice. It could be lyricist. It could, you, whatever, whatever you value could be whatever you want.
1: Message, technicality and impact where if you go back and you listen to their work, say if their work is 20 years old and you go back to that project 20 years ago and it still sounds new and it still sounds refreshing and it still hits home. Ah, oh, I, the three artists that I would have to name and some people made, I mean, again, there's so many
0: three. <laughs> I want you to, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, enjoying watching you wriggle a little bit. Like I, I this is why I only let you choose three. I mean, because if you
1: wanted to talk about just the 80s, if you think about, or if you would talk about some of the very earlier, early old school acts, now you have, if you just put Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, and Cool G Rap, that's three right there. Or if you go fast forward to more modern times, and you have um, Roast the Nine, Feral Munch, and Black Thought.
0: Um, I'm going to let you, you know work what? through this, bro. You're workshopping it right now.
1: Okay. I If I have to go through all through each of the, if I have to connect the dots here, I'm going to put
0: Cool G Rap, Feral Munch, and Black Thought. Bang. I like that. That is, that is deep. Those are deep cuts. Those are insanely respected artists. Black Thought is from Philadelphia. That makes me very happy. Um, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. He, his look like he is an alien. Like the way he puts words
1: together, the cadences, the pockets, the way how you can the syllable schemes and how you can structure something and make and make a rhyme within a rhyme within a rhyme, that's not human.
0: <laughs> I agree with you. Um and I have to tell you, literally just today, I feel like this has to be serendipitous to some degree. Um, I just heard or a friend of mine sent me um, Pharaoh doing some Simon Says renditions with like live bands, basically the tubas hitting. Oh, my God. I had never heard some of these live performances with bands. Oh, my God, dude. I was dying. I mean, Simon Says with like tubas. Are you kidding me? I was dying. It was so good. Oh, dude, you have to send me the link. I will. I guarantee as soon as we're done, I'm going to send it to you. I was like. That, can you? I just couldn't even imagine being in the room with like Simon Says and just like 10 tubas just killing the bass line. <laughs> you know what my
1: YouTube guilty pleasure is when they have the Muppets recreate certain songs? Oh, that's a,
0: is that a new thing or has that been going on for a while?
1: It's been going on for a while. Like, there's one where they it's have really like good,
0: it's really good where they have like Burt and
1: Ernie reenacting MOP Annie
0: up yep i saw that one about a month ago and i would had never even known that any of that existed and it slapped
1: it was so good oh man that's uh that's a
0: guilty pleasure huh? those things are great because when you see the way they move <laughs> dude the amount of editing that must go into that is insane i mean like a complete I, i'm just in awe that somebody would take that amount of time to make that because it's it's very cool oh yeah Talk about niche. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the what the audience is for like, you know, Muppet dubbed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> early, you know, uh, 90s and 2000s hip hop stuff is, but I'm here I for think it. The, you also I think those are
1: things that once you find it, it's one of those things where when you find the video, you're just sharing it with all of your friends. So it's going to get heard or seen no matter what.
0: You know, and, uh, you know, the number one rule of the internet is if it exists, it's somewhere on the internet. Right. Well, here. as always, man, this has been so much fun. Um, the L two is a really fantastic piece. Uh, I've had a, a real blast spending time with um, with the whole collection. You, I think you've hit a home run. Uh, I'm a sucker for Brigade numerals, so you can you know infer from that what you may. But uh, like we said, a mix of sort of fun and funky and bold summer colors and really classic stuff uh, from office to sort of you know night out on the town. You've done a great job. I think you told your story and you continue to tell your story really well. We're, we're rooting for you here on the spirit of time podcast and uh, we're big fans of yours and, and we consider you, you know, friend as well. So this has been a, yeah, a great pleasure as always.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah. Just on of, I don't know. Also chronograph it's in production and it'll be delivered very soon. Right now I'm on track to start delivering in May in when I first uh, launched it, the delivery time frame was July, so I'm running about two months ahead of schedule right now, and that's a good problem to have. So if I can start getting getting it shipped out, uh, try to get it, sh- it shipped out around May, and yeah, there's it still, it's available. Now you can purchase it directly on uh, www.hamewatchco.com, and anybody listening and anybody interested, hey, i
0: love to have you on board. Thank you. Hey. And the Instagram page again, too, is Hayne Wachko. Yep. There you go. We'll be tagging it and, and sharing some photos and, and we'll put together some some more formal thoughts on, uh, on the Spirit of Time uh, site as well. But um, this has been so much fun. Wish you were here in LA with us, but uh, we'll wait till July when we can count on the weather. I don't want to, I don't want to put you in a bad spot again, like we did the previous time, but when you're out here again, we'll, we'll round up, you know, the crew we will get Josh and maybe we can even drag summer out. And, and of course, Matt and, and some of the other local, you know, local people oh, yeah. It would be a lot of fun to get together. Yeah, that'll be fun. Well, it's been fun, man. We'll get this out soon. Um, stay well. Uh, hopefully I know you got a lot of, you've got a lot on your hands the next few months uh, both, uh, business <laughs> and personal. So, uh, we'll be, w- you and I talk a lot. So, uh, this is certainly is just, uh, the continuation of our conversation, but it's Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at spiritoftimepodcast at gmail.com.
1: As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.